You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Jets podcast. It's Tuesday, December 11th, 2018, just two weeks till Christmas Day. I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. If you like this show, subscribe to it on iTunes or Spotify. And please leave the show a good review in iTunes. We certainly do appreciate it. Well, the Jets are back in the win column this week. Uh, they finally beat, ended their losing streak beating the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. But I think we all know that that's just kind of a diversion. This team is completing what has been a very disappointing season. And we're heading for a winter of change in New York. We're, we're The Jets are going to be making changes. The question really is how sweeping the changes will be. And I spent a lot of my Monday thinking about the game, but also thinking about the bigger picture with the Jets. So I wanted to share some thoughts I, I came up with as I pondered the future of this franchise. I'd like to tell you these are genius thoughts. I hope you'll find them to be genius thoughts. I'm not sure whether they will be. Frequently, I tell people in my life, I tell people I work with, my boss, my family, my friends, that I have a genius idea. And sometimes they disagree with me. I think they're genius ideas, but you'll have to decide for yourself. So I wanted to share them with you, some, some of the things that I came up with as I thought deeply about the future of the New York Jets. And the first thought I have is simply that in three weeks, the people who run the Jets, the owners, they have to be honest. Chris and Woody Johnson, whoever's making the decision, whoever's making the final decision, again, we don't really know who that is, but... It's tough to be honest when your team is struggling, when your team's in the situation the Jets are in. And it's not just the Jets who have struggled with this, but I think teams in sports, when they when they struggle, they don't want to be honest with themselves in many instances because they don't want to admit how far away they are. They want to think that there's a quick fix. They want to think it's going to be very easy to repair what's wrong, that there's very specific small tweaks that need to be made. And, you know, the Jets, like I said, lots of teams struggle with it, and the Jets are one of them. I mean, I can think of through through the through even recent years instances where the Jets have struggled, to be honest with themselves. You know, I think back to 2011 when they collapsed at the end of the season, and Mark Sanchez just had a horrible finish to his season. And he, showed, he showed some real signs of that should have brought great concern to the people running the Jets. And they fired the offensive coordinator, Brian Schottenheimer. And it was a situation where the Jets needed to make a change in offensive coordinator. There was no question about it. Schottenheimer was not the answer. But there were also big questions about Sanchez. Sanchez should have left them panicked at the end of that season. And it's not that in that situation, and I don't want to relitigate the past too frequently, but the Jets had to bring Sanchez back for 2012 if they couldn't get Peyton Manning. But what the Jets did was they doubled down on Sanchez. They almost... They gave him this ill-advised extension. It was crazy the way they doubled down on him after he just collapsed at the end of the season. It was a situation where they should have gone into 2012, given him one more chance, but not tied themselves to Sanchez, not essentially said, you know what, Sanchez is fine. Well, all we have to do is get rid of the offensive coordinator because it didn't work. It was, that, you know, it was not a situation where the Jets were honest with themselves. The Jets wanted to believe that all they had to do was get rid of the coordinator. The quarterback was fine. They only did half. They, they pulled a half measure. And I'm not saying they should have got rid of the quarterback, but I'm saying they certainly should not have doubled down on the quarterback. A year later, the team had a terrible 2012. Personnel moves were issue were an issue. They fired the GM, Mike Tannenbaum. He got a bad job by him. They kept the head coach, Rex Ryan. There were clear issues with Rex Ryan. And 
you could have made, I guess you could have made it a case to keep Rex Ryan, but what they did was dumb because they essentially forced Rex Ryan to stay uh, and re- they required any GM who took the job to keep Rex Ryan. That was a stupid idea. I said it was a bad idea at the time. I, I will give my, so that's, I get some wrong. That one I was right. I thought they should have at least given the GM a chance to make the decision on Rex Ryan and it hurt them because they ended up with a guy who really didn't, really only took the job. They, they had a tough time filling the job, and they ended up getting a guy who just wanted to be a GM. Again, they took a half measure. They weren't honest. And I think one of the things that's easy to do in this day and age is you look at some of the best teams in the league, and there's one team in particular that, that people keep comparing the Jets to, and that's the Rams. And what happened with the Rams two years ago? Well, the Rams were struggling. You know, the Rams had a rookie quarterback who wasn't playing that well, was playing worse than Sam Darnold is right now. And they hired a new coach. They hired a young, hot coach. He came in, and the team turned around. So the lesson people take is, well, all you have to do is bring in the coach, and the coach will turn things around. And does coaching matter in this league? Yes, it does. And I'm not suggesting that Sean McVay has done anything other than an excellent job in the early years of his head coaching career. He's done. He's made a difference. Can a coach make it? There are other instances where a coach can make a big difference. Yes. But... Talent matters too. You know, you can't just assume that every situation is going to be like the Rams. If McVay took over a team that was less talented than the Rams, if McVay took over one of these other rosters with uh, young, you know, with bad talent, another one of these rosters that did not have the talent of the Rams. Remember, Jared Goff was number one overall pick, and they had Todd Gurley, they had Aaron Donald. They brought in a lot of talent since then too. I mean, they brought in a lot of good players, Brandon Cooks. Uh, Whitworth, the tackle, was a big move. They brought in a lot of key pieces with that. You can't just assume that a coach is going to come in and fix everything because talent does matter too. And there are some, there are lots of players in this league who just aren't talented enough to play effectively. It doesn't matter how good the coaching is. Some guys just aren't good enough. And you see it on even a lot of the, a lot of the teams that are successful. They have guys who aren't any good. So if you have a roster full of guys who can't play, the coaching can only make up so so much of a difference. You know, I keep seeing all these comments about the Jets, about how, well, they would have won Miami game, they would have won the Cleveland game, they would have beaten Tennessee, they would have beaten... You know, people point to the coaching and say, well, if the team was coached better, they would have won these games. Well, these were tight games, you know. And, yes, I agree, coaching could have made a difference, and coaching has been an issue on this team. I, I won't argue with that. But you know what also could have made a difference? If the Jets had more game-changing talent, if a guy could make a big play to swing a game. That also matters, too. So I think that there's an idea out there that all the Jets have to do is find a new coach. Listen, that's part of the equation. Just like changing the offensive coordinator was part of the equation after 2011. Just like changing the general manager was part of the equation after 2012. But there, it's more, there's more to it than that. It's coaching, but it's also talent. I don't think that you can go, go away thinking that all the Jets have to do is bring in a new coach and, ma- and magically you know, he's going to wave a wand and suddenly these guys are going to start playing effectively. You look at the guys on this roster... I'm not sure it's there. And look, everybody loves to be optimistic. And listen, that's, that's good. You, you get to be optimistic as a fan. But I've been hearing this over and over, that people are just assuming these young players are going to step up and you know, become really solid players. And I, I, I've been hearing this for years. You know, I go back to 2012. Quinton Copels and Stephen Hill were the future because they had shown a few flashes as rookies. Remember the, the great two games of D. Milner in 2013? Geno Smith's strong finish to that season. You know, Jason Morrow in 2014. Remember when Lorenzo Malden was getting those hits in 2015. 
Justin Burris was holding his own 2016 as a rookie. I think whenever anybody shows a pulse as a rookie, people just assume that they're going to step into a starting lineup and play effectively. And now we're seeing it with you know, some of the other young guys. You can't just assume that these guys are automatically going to be good starters until they actually show it. And I'm not sure that... It, so, you know, you, you can say that the, the Jets will bring in a new coach and everything will be fine. It's not necessarily the case. You know, these guys aren't necessarily going to turn into great players. You can't assume they're going to be a great player until they show that they're, they're great players. And the Jets... I don't think you could just assume that these, these young guys on the Jets are going to turn into, you know, a monster draft class. You know, the monster draft classes, many instances they, they show you as rookies that they're going to be a monster draft class. And I think the Jets are probably one monster draft class away from really making some noise. And, you know, part of the other issue is just, I think people are so starved for talent on this team that maybe they overrate the guys that are here. You know, you think about Robbie Anderson. We were talking at the start of the year. People were talking about him as a number one receiver. Heck, I'll admit, I was talking about as a number two receiver. Now as the year has gone on, we've seen his limited good game against Buffalo, but he's really more of an ancillary part. He's more of a deep ball specialist. He's probably a number three, number four guy. You think about some of the other success stories of, quote-unquote, success stories of this regime. You have Jordan Jenkins. You know, you know got another guy comes to mind, Henry Anderson, the guy the Jets traded for. Well, I'm not saying these guys are... Not NFL. I'm not saying these these guys are these guys are NFL players, but part of their value, part of the reason they're valuable, is that they're making nothing on the rookie deals. That's part of their value is that they're they're not big time players. They're not the type of game changing talent that you need to win in this league. They're more role players. And when you're talking role players, when they're on the rookie contracts, that's part of their value because most guys making peanuts, you know, most guys making the minimum wage give you nothing. So the fact these guys give you a little bit, they give you a little something, that's what makes them valuable because you're not paying anything for it. The second their salary goes up, their value starts to go down for, to the team because every dollar you spend on them is a dollar you can't spend elsewhere. If you're spending nothing on them, you're getting value and you have, a, and you have extra money to spend. So, you know, I, I think that in the, the, the problem with this regime, I think, is that in many instances, their success stories are kind of guys who are marginal talents. They're role players. It's not that they're in. They're not that they're totally ineffective players, but it's that they're just not game-changing talent. You know, you need you need role players, but you also need game-changing talent. And at the end of the, and at the end of the day, talent's what matters. You know, you talk about what the job McVeigh's done, and you you know everybody talks about his scheme. And look, his scheme is good. It's create. There's some creativity there. Some of his plays are well designed. I'm not arguing that. But there's some aspects of the Rams' offense. You know, as much as everybody loves this Rams system, that really are not that modern. I mean, and I'll say the same thing about Kyle. You know, the two guys who are viewed as the offensive gurus in this league are Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. And now Shanahan a little bit less because his team's struggling with all with the injury to the quarterback and some other issues. But especially, you know, I'll say it about both of them, but the Rams in particular, there's some very unmodern aspects of this offense. You know, some this, the designer stuff people love. I mean, they play a lot under center. I mean, they play a ton under center. If you watch that Sunday night game, they gave you the stats. Uh, they don't use many diverse personnel groups because they have good play, they have great players. Their, their skill guys are great, so they don't need to change their skill players up. They, they have... They, their most common skill, skill group is out there most of the game. They're not switching guys in and out. They're not playing with a ton of different personnel packages. And these are aspects of modern offenses that, you know, the, the teams with the designer offenses run a lot. Well, the Rams don't have to do that because they have great players, and that's a huge part of the story. So don't, you know, don't dismiss the idea that talent matters. Talent matters a lot. And talent might be the most important thing. 
And the Jets, listen, you can get good players in this league, but let's be honest here. The Jets need to get a lot more good players in this team for this thing to turn around. Because what they have right now are guys who, you know, conceivably some of these guys could turn out to be good, but they're not good. You can't, you can't just assume that some... You can't just assume that some guy who, you know, makes a play here or there is automatically going to turn into a good player. Most of the time they don't. And that's, the, you know, I've been hearing this for years about player A is about to turn into a starter. Well, it doesn't always work that way. And the Jets need to get better players. It's not just about coaching. They need to improve their, their talent core. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, my bookie allows you to create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win. And if you hit on all three, you could turn $100 into $600. College basketball, college football, NBA, NHL, custom props, even esports, you name it. Sign up this week and MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. Also, make sure to follow at BetMyBookie on Twitter. They personally respond to every mention in DM, not to mention they've given away more than $10,000 in free money to their followers this football season. You'll be the first to know as soon as new odds and props are posted. Don't miss out on one of the best weeks this year in sports. Log on to MyBookie right now and use promo code LOCKEDON and to get 50% off your deposit bonus. That's promo code LOCKEDON. You play, you win, you get paid. You know, Christmas is coming up, folks, and don't believe the hype from their competitors because Action Heat makes the world's best battery-heated clothing. Heat on demand at the touch of a button. Control your environment with Action Heat. Action Heat clothing is engineered to safely and efficiently dis deliver heat via heating panels similar to a heated car seat. They can reach temperatures of up to 135 degrees and are powered by rechargeable 5-volt lithium-ion batteries that last up to 12 hours on each charge. Action Heat batteries can also be used to recharge your phone or any other gadget while you're wearing them. Perfect for any friend or family on your holiday gift list. Great for anybody who works outdoors, skiers, snowboarders, anybody who loves the outdoors or hates being cold. Action Heat clothing provides toasty warmth and comfort for your whole body, including heated jackets, socks, gloves, hats, and even undergarments like heated base layer shirts and long johns. You can stay warm and cozy from head to toe with Action Heat. Action Heat is available in men's and women's as great styles and models just released for this winter season. Make winter activities more enjoyable with a blast of warmth. Action Heat is the perfect solution to keep you toasty and warm, even in the most frigid of winter weather. Heated products that fit everybody's budget, starting at just $39.99. And we've got a special deal for our listeners to save 20% off your entire order. Just go to actionheat.com slash locked on to check out everything Action Heat has to offer. That's actionheat.com slash locked on. Or use coupon code locked on at checkout to save 20%. Stay toasty warm while you enjoy your all your act, outdoor activities this winter with Action Heat. I think we all know that the Jets are about to head on a coaching search. Uh, it's pretty obvious Todd Bowles is not going to make it. So I'm going to repeat something that I've been saying for a while. And it's because it's something I really do believe. The Jets should not be focused on just finding an offensive coordinator. That's not the goal. You're not looking for just a guy who's going to bring come in and build an offense. You want a guy who's going to make the team excellent in all three phases. I think offense is very important. You have to have a plan for Sam Darnold. You have to plan, have a plan for building the offense because this is a team that's been offensively challenged for some time. Like I'm, not, I'm not suggesting offense is not important, but it's more than just being an offensive coordinator. You don't necessarily need to come from the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, the thing that I, I struggle with is the idea that the Jets need to go out and find... And McVay is the guy everybody's focused on, I think, because of the maybe the young quarterback parallels, because of the success the Rams are having. I know they had a rough Sunday night game, but you know everybody wants to find the next McVay. Well, 
that's not so easy to find. And the next, the next Sean McVay may not be out there. You know, when the Rams were looking to hire, the team to beat in their division was the Seattle Seahawks, and Pete Carroll was their head coach. They didn't look for the next Pete Carroll. They got the first Sean McVay. You know, if that that was the formula, maybe they would have gone to the college game, find found somebody who resembled Pete Carroll. Good coaches come in all shapes and sizes. So it's not just about finding a guy who, you know, is an offensive coach, a, a guy who's an offensive coordinator. You need leadership, you need vision, and you need the ability to build a coaching staff. Those are the important things for a head coach. It's not so much about which side of the ball you come from. There are plenty of great coaches who build dynamic offenses who don't come from the offensive side of the ball. So that's Again, that's something worth repeating. I, I think that that's really important. I think that that's something that kind of gets lost in the, in the shuffle. I think pe- people are too focused on just finding, you know, you can find a, a, somebody who's going to build a great offense. They, I think any coach worth his muster in the current NFL is going to want a dynamic offense. You know, if you're if you're a, a defensive coach who just wants to run the ball in today's NFL, the issue is not that you're a defensive coach. The, the issue is that you don't really understand the way the league works, and you should because if you're a defensive coach, you should understand how difficult it is, how, how much a dynamic passing attack makes your life dif- difficult as a defensive coach, and you should want to apply that to your football team as, as you're building it. So I, I, you know, I don't think you, you necessarily just want a coach who is going to be from the offensive side of the ball because, you know, again, you can have a defensive coach who's successful. And beyond that, you know, the one thing I keep hearing from people is, well, the reason you want a coach with from the offensive side of the background is that he's going to hire an offensive coordinator. And if you lose your offensive coordinator, you have success, your offensive coordinator is going to get a head coaching job, and then you're back to square one on off. And I think that that's the craziest thing in the world. If the most important piece in your organization is your offensive coordinator, your organization stinks. You stink. How could that possibly be that an assistant coach is more important than anybody, than your quarterback, than your head coach? What kind of an organization are you running? That shows that you've, you've hired the wrong head coach. You know, the example I look to is, the example I hear people use is Atlanta, where they had that great season with Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan gets a head coaching job with the 49ers, and then the offense kind of goes backward under Steve Sarkeesian. Well, the issue there is that the head coach is, the head coach doesn't know what he's doing. Why would he bring in Steve Sarkeesian? You know, look at the New England Patriots. The Patriots are the team the Jets measure themselves against. Now, look at them throughout Tom Brady's career. They started with Charlie Weiss's offensive coordinator. Then they move to, Weiss gets his head coaching job at Notre Dame. Josh McDaniels moves into the role. McDaniels eventually gets a head coaching job uh, with the the Denver Broncos. Bill O'Brien steps into the role. Bill O'Brien eventually gets a head coaching job at Penn State before he goes to the Texans. McDaniels comes back. The constant is Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And part of it is that Belichick understood, even though Belichick was a defensive guy, Belichick understood what offense he wanted to bring. Belichick brought his own offensive system in, brought his own playbook in. And this is one of the things that um, I read an article a few years ago. I think it was Greg Bedard who, who wrote it. Uh, who I think he's a writer with uh, New England Ties. He was writing for Sports Illustrated at the time. And he laid out the best case, I think, for quote-unquote stability in the NFL that I've ever read. And he talked about the Patriots. He talked about how they've changed offensive coordinators, but they've maintained the same system. They maintain the same playbook. So it's not, you know, stability is not always about keeping the, the same assistance. It's about having a head coach who understands what he wants to do on both sides of the ball. And you look at 
how that applies to what's happened with the Jets this year, first of all. You know, the Jets made a lot of... Jets talked a lot about stability when they extended Todd Bowles and Mike McCagnin a year ago, but one thing that they missed was they changed offensive coordinators for the second straight year. So you're bringing a third offensive system in three years. They changed, you know, they changed a lot. So the Jets undercut their own argument about stability by changing their offensive system because the most, you know, the, maybe the biggest piece of stability is that you're not changing systems. And what Bedard argued essentially is that even though the Patriots changed offensive coordinators, they kept the same system in place. And when you keep the same system in place, what happens is the players all know it and they know how to build on it. So instead of installing a new system, instead of players learning the system, you're building on the system you already have. And that's what's important. So, and I think that applies on all sides of the football. You know, you bring in, a, you bring in a, an offensive-minded coach. And again, this is something else I've read. You bring in a, a coach with an offensive uh, background. You want to know what kind of defense he wants to run. I've read this uh, in the past that there have been interviews where an offensive coordinator is interviewed for a head coaching job. And they asked him, what, what defense do you want to run? And the coach goes, well, that'll be up to the defensive coordinator. That's not going to cut it. You need to know what you want to do on both on all sides of the football, on both the offensive and defensive side. You want to know what type of defense you want to run. Well, now, you hire the coordinator to implement the specifics, but you need to have a vision of do you want to be a heavy blitz team? Do you want to be a team that plays a lot of zone coverage? Do you want to go man-to-man? These are things you need to know because complementary football is important. And again, you look to the team up north, that team in New England, the Patriots play complementary football. There will, there will be some weeks where they'll run the ball a lot because offense and defense are interrelated. You look at, you know, if they're playing against an explosive offense and they, they don't think their defense can handle it, they'll run the ball a lot because they can, A, they can do it effectively, but B, they want to keep the other team's offense off the field. Whereas there are weeks where they know that the other team doesn't have a lot of firepower, so they're throwing the ball all over the field because they know that, that the other team's offense can't keep up with, the, can't keep up with them. The other team's offense can't win a shootout, so the Patriots will start throwing. That's important. You're the head coach of the full football team. The offense and defense are both are related, and the game plans need to be related. So the, the, that's why this whole argument about the, whether the Jets should you know, find an offensive coach, find a defensive coach, I think these are reasons why this stuff is overrated. Because it's, it's for these reasons. Because, first of all, the, the, offense, the performance of the offense and the style of the offense – and the st- uh, performance of the defense and the style of the defense, they're related, depending on your opponent. But also, the head coach is the guy who sets the vision. The head coach needs to be the guy who knows what he wants to install. You can't be constantly, willy-nilly changing your system. Now, listen, there are some instances where you need to tweak it, but the best teams keep the same system. And the most important person on the team is never the coordinator in a good organization. If the best guy on your team is a coordinator, you got a lot of problems. Defensive, even if you're a defensive-minded coach, you should know what kind of offense you want to run, and it should be a, you know, you should be studying best practices. You should be keeping up on what the most modern, what the best offenses are doing, and trying to install some of those wrinkles. So, I think that this whole idea that the Jets—I've said this before, but wanted to give you a few new thoughts on it. I think that this whole rationale that the Jets need to bring in an offensive guy is misguided. I remember a while back, I spoke with somebody who had run a successful startup, and she said to me that you can always hire expertise. You What you can't substitute is vision. And what she meant by that was that the founder of a, of a startup company understands where they, has a broad view about where they want to take the company. You can hire people to run the technical side of things, you know, run your, you know, build your app 
whatever, run, run your website. And I think it's very similar in the NFL where the head coach has to have the broad view of what kind of team he wants to run. You can, even if you're not a guy with an offensive background, you can hire, you can hire coaches who can implement the specific offense that you want to run, who can really get into the nitty gritty, you know, design certain things. But you have to have the vision. You have to have the overarching vision of what type of team you want to run. And that can come from anybody. That can come from an offensive guy. That can come from a defensive guy. Now, the last thing I want to share with you today are some thoughts on the interview process and what the new coaching staff is going to look like. And really what I want to see is I want to see balance, whoever is hired. And I want to see a diversity of experiences, a diversity of viewpoints. So what do I mean by that? Well, let's take a look at an experienced head coach the Jets may look at. And that's Mike McCarthy, who was just recently fired by the Packers. Now, McCarthy is not a bad coach. And he's a guy I could kind of go either way on because I think he had some good points. I think his early tenure in Green Bay was very impressive. I think things stagnated a little bit. There's a little element of, you know, sometimes a guy's just there too long and he gets tuned out. Sometimes a fresh voice is needed. Sometimes the coach needs a fresh start. But I think part of it is that McCarthy's offense kind of stagnated. He didn't adapt with the times. He... His offense is kind of, is, I'm just not a big fan of his system. I think he's kind of ignored best practices about scheming guys open. He's ignored some, some of the new, new age wrinkles that offenses put in. So a guy like McCarthy, who's got experience, when he's building his coaching staff, what I want to see is I want to see him commit to maybe bringing in a college guy, you know, somebody with new, fresh ideas. Some, show, the, show me that he's open to offense. You know, leave the old school guys behind. Leave Joe Philbin behind. Leave Tom Clements behind. Leave Ben McAdoo and his slick back hair behind. Leave the guys you've coached with before behind. Maybe bring one or two of them. Make sure you have some new age guys, some guys who have been part of, you know, make your offensive coordinator a guy who's been part of like the new the new innovative offense in college. You know, uh, I think back, think of what Mac Nagy did in Chicago when he brought in Mark, Mark Helfrick, who was head coach at Oregon, who ran that you know, explosive Oregon offense. Bring in somebody who has new ideas. Don't just stick with the old guys that you know. So if you're a guy like McCarthy, I want, to see, I want to see him open to new school ideas. He's providing the old vision. Now, if we're talking a guy like maybe Lincoln Riley, who's at Oklahoma, who I'm not sure would be interested in the job. It kind of sounds like he's not that interested in the NFL, but I'll just use him as an example because he's kind of the flavor of the month for people wanting new school type offensive guys. Okay, well, if Lincoln Riley's the guy, then I want to do the opposite. I want Lincoln Riley to bring in experienced coaches because he's not a guy with a lot of experience. He's providing the new school vision, but I also want him to be smart enough to realize that he doesn't have all the answers, that there is some wisdom in what the NFL has done in the past. So what I want him to do is to think about, you know, bringing in a guy, a seasoned hand in the NFL who can to run his offense to kind of explore, you know, what, what he thinks could work in the NFL and what may, what may need to be scrapped. I wanted to bring in an, an experienced offensive line coach who will be able to tell him whether his system has diverse enough protections. And the reason I say that is I think back to another offensive wizard from college football in the last two decades, Steve Spurrier, when he came to the NFL. And there was this legendary story of one of his former players about it was an offensive lineman who in one game, one early game with with Washington when Spurrier took over, noticed that the defensive players were laughing and he's sitting there and realizing, wait a minute, we only have two protections. So I want to see if, if a guy like Lincoln Riley or somebody like that from college who doesn't have a lot of NFL experience, I want him to surround himself with 
guys who have NFL experience, guys who might be able to catch him, catch him on some of the pitfalls. I think in an experienced guy, it's really important to have a former, at least one, and probably hopefully multiple, former NFL head coaches on your coaching staff. You know, we talk about McVay, but one of the best hires McVay, one of the best things McVay did had nothing to do with the offensive side of the ball. He hired Wade Phillips as a defensive coordinator. And I know the Rams' defense is not spectacular, but it was a really good hire for a couple of reasons. First of all, Phillips is very well-respected, obviously, a uh, very well-respected defensive coordinator, but also the fact that Phillips has been a head coach for, was a head coach for a long time in the NFL, got a job young like McVay did, got a head job young like McVay did, and just having Phillips around as a resource could be valuable because even though Phillips was not a very successful head coach, Sometimes you can lean on somebody who can give you examples of pitfalls you run into. Even if they weren't successful, they can say, you know, this is something I did wrong. I, I think about my personal life, a job I had where I stayed in touch with my, with my successor. And just a few weeks ago, something came up. It was similar to a situation I dealt with. And I, text my, I texted my successor. I was like, you know... When I was in your shoes, I really screwed this up. You should avoid doing what I did in that situation. Sometimes, even though Phillips, so even though Phillips wasn't that successful of a head coach, having him around is really important because Phillips can tell McVeigh, you know, this wasn't this. I did I did things this way. It was a mistake, and you know maybe he can help. Maybe he's helped McVeigh avoid certain pitfalls that he fell into. So having a guy like that around is important. And you know we talk about complementary football. A guy like Lincoln Riley who. You know, his background's totally offense. His defenses have struggled in Oklahoma. And we talk about the interview process. Well, what's Lincoln Riley going to tell me about his vision for the defensive side of the ball? Is he going to tell me that, well, I'll just bring some of my Oklahoma guys with me and they'll figure it out? Or is he going to say something like, well, you know, I've been chatting with Jack Del Rio, who's, you know, a former head coach in this league, successful defensive coordinator. I want to I implement his style of defense. Those... And that's the thing I go back to with a guy like Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley, you know, some people are love him, some people hate, some people don't love him as a candidate. Think about those two different answers he could. I mean, there are two potential answers he could give you there. But I think that those two answers show, would show you two very different candidates. One guy is a guy I would want no part of in the NFL because it shows he doesn't care about defense. The other guy is somebody I'd be very interested in because it's shown he's really thought about the type of team he'd want to build. It's the same guy, so. I don't think you can come to definitive conclusions. And the same thing about McCarthy. I could go either way. If Mike McCarthy's telling me I'm bringing Ben McAdoo and his slick back hair to run my offense, I'm not so interested in him. If he tells me I'm going to, you know, he's finding a, a guy who had maybe a Cliff Kingsbury. I know Cliff Kingsbury just got hired at USC, but a guy like Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury who's been successful in college because I want to explore a new way to build an offense then I'm very interested in him. So, you know, you can't make the... I think what's what's tricky about the whole head coaching search, part of, part of what makes it so tricky, is just there's a lot about the quality of these candidates that we won't find out about because it'll be determined in the interviews because those are examples of how McCarthy could be a better candidate than we realize or a worse candidate than we realize. And the same with Lincoln Riley, depending on some of the answers he's giving about his coaching hire. So these are, you know, these are things... I think these are all things to consider and these are things I'd like to see in the next Jets head coach. Anyway, those are all my thoughts for today. I hope you found them to be coherent. I hope you thought, found them to be genius thoughts. Anyway, this has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. If you enjoy the show, subscribe to it, iTunes or Spotify. Leave the show a good review in iTunes. We'll be back again on Wednesday. Talk more Jets. Hope you enjoy your Tuesday, everybody.